make more sense for me to do this here and deafen myself. It's fun. <laughs> hey man, you got to get those claps right. You, you got to get the claps right, but like also you got to just deafen yourself while you do it because that's how you know it's right. Like I want any podcast creator to know that if they don't clap right before they start the recording, they need to start the whole joint over again. A hundred percent, I agree completely. All right, well, let's go on and get started. I decided I'm not going to say the title of the podcast because I'm gonna it's going to incentivize me to make a banner uh, for <laughs> so I can put it up before True. the video. Um, plus, I've been telling everyone the name, so it, so it's all good. But this is my homie, my brother, known him for. It's not too long just yet, but it's about to be too long. AJ Valson, a key, yeah. a keys player, a little bit of a rapper, a singer, or whatever you he wants to be at the time. Uh, kind too similar to me at times as well. Bro, we're nothing alike. What you talking about? Bro, I don't know who else. Also, it's is, been ten years. <laughs> yeah, I'm, so that's like just a little bit of time. Yeah, it's just a little bit of time. But freaking, I don't know who else would do almost a, such a similar track as me to get to being a musician. <laughs> right, but did you drop a mixtape though? <laughs> Look, bro, does it matter? You didn't drop a mixtape. Look, I was on one of your real EPs, ones who so went it's the to same undergrad thing. with us. Remember that I dropped the mixtape, <laughs> and real ones who also went to Union know that he did not drop a mixtape. So Look, let this, let's put this that on may wife be right true. now. I'm not saying I'm not saying anything about that. But I'm not a rapper. <laughs> I, like, I like to write, but I'm not a rapper. Oh man. Not yet. Well, <laughs> give it some time, I suppose. Yeah. But yeah, so I got you on, and it's been a hot minute since we talked last. Last time we really talked was on your podcast that you that you did and is yeah. now on pause. Um, but what what you been up to, man? I know you've been you just moved down to Nashville. I'm in Nashville now. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm a New Yorker, faux show. Shout out, you know, like come on now, um, <laughs> not like that ass. Like you see, you see, you know the vibes. Um, yes, I just recently moved to Nashville. I live in uh, the East Side, and I because I'm a musician, of course, lifestyle wise, that made this made the most sense for me. Um, but as I said, I'm a New Yorker, so that goes into just who I am as a person, into the music, um, you know, just demeanor, like just all those things. Um, and New York in and of itself is an eclectic um, place for music. So going into another place that is just full of musical diversity, I think it's really great. And yeah, I've, I haven't been there for too long, but um, it feels like it feels like I could have done it before, honestly. Like that's yeah. just it, it's just it's just a glove fit. Mm-hmm. It's a glove fit. What kind of got you into? Well, because not unless they already know you. Not too many people know about like your background in music. How did how have you kind of progressed? How did you get to where you are now? Like what are you? What are you about? I'm about. Uh, um, honestly, I'm about authenticity in music. So what that sounds like of course it depends so for me what that sounds like is uh acoustic piano mm-hmm. so with acoustic piano um and i say this because my current catalog um is only piano albums i have two piano albums the first one came out december 2019 that's ivory garden the second one just came out in june of this year june 11th 2021 ivory motion available everywhere digitally um and 
what that really is is just me in my element, me in my most authentic state. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up in a classical context, in a uh, sacred music context, and um, with that came like traditional gospel. Um, growing up in New York, you're exposed to hip hop, um, amongst other genres, um, especially where I was in the in the Bronx. Um, but really, it's just again, like going back to the original question, what I create is just what authentically sounds like me. So that doesn't mean I'm always going to make piano music, mm-hmm. but as far as what I have out right now, um, it's the most authentic expression. Um, and really just going down on a melody level, those melodies are really telling my stories. I call them piano instrumentals, piano instrumentals where, you know, yeah, you're not hearing any words, but there's really like stories behind every song and not so much the stories of mine, even though they do set the stage is really for the listener. Mm -hmm. If the music was for me, I would have kept it. But the music is for people to listen to and find solace in and find comfort in and enjoy it. So, um, and you can only do that by being authentic. Oh yeah, straight up. So like, as you've kind of progressed to this place, has it always kind of been the same kind of mindset, ideas, or like, because I know when we were together in a couple groups here and there, and we would do like jams down in the Haymarket and all this Mm -hmm. sort of stuff downtown. Mm -hmm. And so our evolution of playing and performing and stuff, like for me even has changed and evolved because when we were doing that kind of stuff, like... I wasn't even really singing all that much back then. Yeah. Um, I was mostly just doing percussion, drums, that that sort of stuff. Yeah. And now I do way more singing than I do of drumming, in fact. Right. Now, and it's all over the place. Which or, is crazy because mm-hmm. I know you as a drummer. Oh, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Like I, we never sang together. Or at least it was like I wasn't really singing all too much. Right. You know? right. But like, like where I am now, I remember like the... One of the times I was playing with you was for your uh, your recital that you were doing for mm-hmm. for jazz piano, mm-hmm. right? And I was playing what we played Sandu, and then there was another one that I cannot remember to save my life. Beautiful love. Yeah. No, 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 no. I didn't play that one for you. I right. no. I sang Beautiful Love. So you, because that was the one that you did play for me. Because I also had a recital that same year, and oh, so you yeah, came in and played yeah. Beautiful Love, but. Or was it, it wasn't beautiful love. It was uh, free and autumn leaves. I think it was what it was actually that you played with slash for me slash whatever. Yeah, it was. that sounds more but like yeah. it. Mm-hmm. I think we did beautiful love because I did an original. Mm-hmm. I did Sandu. I did Black Orpheus as a duet with mm-hmm. my uh, p- then piano teacher. Uh, actually, my last piano teacher mm-hmm. uh, to date. So shout out Masa for everything that you've done. Oh yeah, uh, for this craft. You know, truly, truly honored. Um, but I did a duet with him. I did a duet with my mate, Elliot Mosley. Yeah. And I did a solo piece and I did Sandu. So I definitely. Wow, it must have been beautiful love. It was definitely beautiful love. I totally. Wow, I did not remember playing that. That's it. Shoot. I only remember playing Also shout out Mitch Benson. Like he came out of nowhere. Well, he didn't come out of nowhere. Masa recommended him. Oh yeah. And somebody was showing me some live footage from the other day, and he's still doing his thing out here in Lincoln oh, yeah. uh, or in Nebraska in general. So shout out Mitch Benson for yeah, real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, so like back then, and I remember that was right when I was getting into jazz. And mm-hmm. now I've kind of do- hopped in even more right. into, into that space. Again, like in the vocal space, I've been trying to get back more into the drumming space with that. But there's been yeah. so much development I've been making for voice. It's been crazy. Right. But... But yeah, I remember we used to do more along the lines of gospel 
gospel type stuff, some jazz sort of stuff, a lot of kind of free kind of whatever kind of stuff going on. Has that always kind of been the case? I know, like you said, because you you did primarily classical starting, like classical gospel kind of background, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And and I know, like we've talked, and you were, you'd considered doing like a major until you're like, mm, this isn't exactly what I'm trying to do, yep. you know? So yep. like what kind of developed and changed through that? How did, how did that kind of inform you? Well, like you said, um, everybody knows this if you've talked to me about, you know, my decision making process as far as pursuing music as a career. Um, there was a point in time that I declared music as one of my majors because mm-hmm. my crazy ass decided to don't major. But that's another story for another time. Yeah, you know, Um so when I made that decision to consciously, you know, be a musician, but not like it's really interesting. Like you, you go to a school and you have this craft, um, but the craft that you have, you know it so well and you're able to tell whether or not the institution or the surroundings can provide you with the necessary growth. So what I'm saying is that when I came into union, I didn't see that happening for me Mm -hmm. on, you know, like I didn't see classes going like, you know, oh, like this is going to blow. Like I was doing a lot of the same stuff, just like more advanced, you know, Mm -hmm. classical theory and that type of thing. Even, you know, when I was doing what ended up being my minor classes for the music. Yeah. So that was the first thing. And. That being self-awareness, I had to know for myself, okay, like, what am I trying to do? And if not so much what I'm trying to do, how am I trying to do it? Mm -hmm. I didn't know the what until probably about two to three years ago, hence the piano albums. Yeah. But I know, but I knew the how. Mm -hmm. I knew the how, and that was good enough for me. So I just went off of that um, as I developed uh, professional relationships with musicians such as yourself. Um, you know, that kind of strengthened my decision because I realized, you know, I wasn't the only one thinking this way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, leading up to the point where I made piano records, I experimented a lot. Oh, and yeah. um, that was just something that, again, like I didn't know what I was doing, but I knew how I was going to do it. Mm-hmm. And that manifested eventually as music production. So yeah. um, another avenue, which I'm sure like, especially at this point in time, the opportunities that is created, you know, music production can really be that that cherry popper for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and as a musician, it was kind of sort of that way for me too. But it started from thinking like, all right, because I'm in this particular academic setting, I can do this, I can't do this. And mm-hmm. that's, you know, you can't really overextend yourself as a person, much less as, um, as a musician, at least for me, because I know that... Um, whatever I'm trying to do like musically has to come from the right place. Yeah. Um, Cause I've been in situations where I've tried to perform mm-hmm. and I was doing it for the wrong idea or the wrong mindset. And I remember very clearly when I was here in undergrad, I was trying to get one more like talent show performance in, mm-hmm. but I realized, and it was a very sombering thought to this day. It still is like, I'm doing this to get attention. Yeah. So I completely scrapped the entire thing and I was like, we're not doing this anymore. I hit up everybody who was going to do it. It was like, hey, we're not doing this anymore. Um, I don't feel right doing this going up there Um, because, you know, I've had a lot of times where the music and the presentation, it wasn't authentic. People weren't resonating with it. 
And sometimes like where you are isn't necessarily where you should be sharing. Like you should, you know, find a setting that complements your lifestyle. Hence the move from New York to Nashville, at least for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I, I find it so interesting too, because you, you kind of, you even said that like you developed it up until like where you knew both how and what, right? But both of them finally came together about two, three years ago, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas for me, it's kind of been similar, but I think the how even, and both the how and the what for me have developed in the last two, three years, Yeah, you know? So where I didn't really even know how or what, and so I kind of went along the lines and courses of, what was kind of just provided and presented and suggested for me, mm-hmm. you know, now I'm looking at the how, what, and I say, okay, what is the purpose for me to do doing this? How does it affect like mm-hmm. who I am as an artist? Like I've, I've seen you as someone who over the last 10 years I've known you, right. It always seemed to me at least that you kind of knew what your sound was, right. Mm-hmm. Like it developed and it it grew and it changed and stuff, but you've always kind of had like a vision of like what your sound was and like how it was supposed to kind of work out and sound mm-hmm. and like who was on the track or who was doing this kind of all together what that sound was, mm-hmm. you know? And so as you did that, you developed it. I remember like, cause I remember initially being like, well, this dude knows like classical stuff, but he's not doing classical stuff. And it didn't really gel with me. Like mm. my understanding at okay, that time, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. Like you, you could play. And I was like, this dude knows how to play. He can play by ear. He can play by reading. He can do all this sort of stuff. But like the way he's playing isn't even necessarily like classical or it's not necessarily jazz. It yeah. definitely has hip hop influence. Right. Yeah. But like, it's not that. Right. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I know like we were, we've, we've just been talking since you, you've, you're visiting Lincoln for a little bit right now. And how you're talking about like doing the gospel university stuff and like how, like the playing aspect of like breaking out of kind of like your standard, like mindset of playing, mm-hmm. right? Like evolving that, like, how did you all, like, when did you kind of get the, this is what my sound is? Like, how did you even stumble upon it? Do you remember? Um, My sound, and thank you, honestly, uh, my sound is something that, it's kind of like learning to speak for the first time, which doesn't make sense to anybody listening because we're all like, yeah, like we're all humans. We can speak, you know, like I know that's a very blanket statement, um, but it really truly is learning how to speak for the first time. Um, at least for me, because when I realized that that's what it sounded like, I was like, Oh, you know, like there's whenever you do anything for the first time, at least for me, I feel that there's a lot of newness and a lot of, you know, cautious, you know, awkwardness to it. Mm-hmm. And um, when I was experimenting, it was very interesting because when I was experimenting with music production, especially, I did base everything out of playing melodies. Mm-hmm. Most producers, well, you know, there's a handful of producers that would start with a with a percussion or a beat or a rhythm. Mm-hmm. I think in melodies and, you know, I'm humming melodies that are inspired by runs, vocal runs, guitar runs, bass runs, um, piano runs, like just anything that just, you know, virtuoso, you know, like whatever that is. And 
you know, those melodies to me represent freedom. Mm-hmm. So you're on you're on a scale, but you're soloing, you're doing a little run, you're doing walk up, you're walk down. Um, there's such a freedom when you're listening to um, somebody who is like locked into their sound going from note to note. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just it's just freeing to listen to. And that's kind of like what pushes me into my like my sound and finding that really just, you know, I think it came again from taking the time to dial in mm-hmm. and say to yourself, like, OK, you know, at the end of the day, there are so many people who do what I do. Where is your white space? Like what, mm-hmm. what makes you sound like you? Um, and I knew that I was getting somewhere, even though I was still getting, you know, still in self-discovery. Yeah. Um, I'll just go with the story here. So I play a lot when I was in Lincoln. I played a lot in uh, the, the Don Love Atrium mm-hmm. on that upright. And I remember one night I, I just got finished jamming there. I just I just like jamming there for a few minutes and just let that be that. It's fun. It's um, for me, it's uh, therapeutic. Mm-hmm. I got a text after that happened or maybe not even after that happened, but just randomly. Um, and somebody basically said, like, hey, like I heard you playing um, around the corner. And I was just like, I had, a, I had a sense that it was you playing. So that really spoke to me because it reminded me that the intentionality that I have behind trying to find an authentic melody and sound um, and finding the freedom in those notes, Mm -hmm. like that it was definitely happening. Now keep in mind, like, you know, we're talking about somebody who just put out piano records like two years ago, but has been playing piano his whole life. Mm -hmm. For me, it's interesting because I spent the rest of that time in another dimension musically when realistically I kind of did have it in me to have those melodies out. Mm-hmm. It just wasn't something that I focused solely on um, because at the end of the day, no matter how much experimenting I do, I'm a pianist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a pianist and like I just, it makes sense for the Genesis to be um, Ivory Garden and mm-hmm. now Ivory Motion. I know I said for those listening from the very beginning, I know that I said that I have mixtape you know but there were a lot of projects as it is with most musicians a lot of projects that um up and coming artists put out leading to the first body of work that they can fully stand behind Mm -hmm. that um you know get taken down for revision and that Mm -hmm. and that was just one of those times because again like there were so many aspects that i had to learn and dial into and you know that's just the craft of music shut up so tell me because i mean with this podcast being about just like current mu- not even necessarily like new music per se, okay. right? But like how to be kind of relevant, even you could say, because mm-hmm. it's like it's music currency. Like how are you being re- relevant to your own sphere? Like how do you like focus on like your sound in a way that like garners an audience that's looking for you? You know, like how mm-hmm. do you develop it yourself? And more more importantly, from my perspective, I like to think of it in ways of like, what was it that you recognized, especially back when you were thinking like, let me go to school to do this or like use, use school as an avenue to get to this place. What was it that enticed you to do it? And then what was it that that made you realize, you know what, this isn't where I'm going to be doing the how, right? 
like I'm going to, I need to do the how on my own or I need to do my how somewhere else mm-hmm. away from like an institutional space. Like what, what was it that did it for you? Uh, what did it for me as far as just wanting to do things like on my own? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, again, I think it really, it really came to a head when I realized that, I mean, it comes in waves, honestly, like learning about yourself. Um, If you've known me over the past few years, I do talk about it a lot and I talked about it a lot before, but I'll say it again, uh, knowing yourself, um, it really came to a head uh, when I realized that I had to look out for myself no matter what. Mm-hmm. Um, and that means like as a musician. So yeah. uh, I really enjoy collaborating. Mm-hmm. Um, part of that comes from a need to, you know, want to like tap into somebody else's creativity and like work on something in conjunction with that person mm-hmm. to come out with something great. Because I know that if I do handle something myself, you know, it's it's only like I was really about just trying to collaborate and work with as many people as possible in the beginning. Like I I remember in undergrad writing up all these arrangements for cover medleys mm-hmm. and everything and everything. And I mean, literally everything involved other people. Mm-hmm. You know, there wasn't anything that I was completely handling by myself. Um, cause I just didn't have that, didn't have that confidence, but you know, what hurt my confidence even more was trying to rely on these ideas to be successful in order for me to feel like mm-hmm. I did something, uh, musically worthwhile. Like so, ideas like what, like you're talking about, like from school, like what kind of ideas? Yeah, or? Anything from like cover arrangements to like, yo, you want to hop on this track or like, mm-hmm. yo, can you help me with this artwork? Like, you know, all the, all these different aspects mm-hmm. and you know, you really start seeing like who's really about it mm-hmm. at the end of the day. Yeah. Now, keep in mind when you're an undergrad, you're also trying to figure out what you're wanting to do, you know, with your next step and things like that. So there's a lot of people that I've had the pleasure of spending time with creatively that ultimately went on to do their other things, whether it was something that related to music, but just for themselves or not at all. Like mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, but the point being, um, Knowing your like knowing that I was trying to do things, you know, like for me was understanding that like I couldn't really do it for anybody else. Yeah. Um, and during that time that I was coming up with all these ideas, I had a band. So the band kind of served as like the what would you say? The avenue for um making all these things possible. And mm-hmm. in some way we did do it. Um, but I realized that, you know, harnessing a lot of creative energy in one room is very difficult. Yeah. So I went solo. Mm-hmm. And again, it was a self-awareness thing. There are, you know, like my cousin, Nate, he has a band called Vibe. That's Vibe No E. Like it's V-I-B, Vibe No E. Um, and he has a bandmate mm-hmm. in there. Even though he as a musician understands that he can handle pretty much anything that's thrown at him. Phenomenal keys player also plays bass really well. And 
organ and all this other stuff. So, you know, like for him, that makes the most sense, like him carrying out his vision. But for me, I knew that I had to kind of handle things on my own in order to kind of really find me mm-hmm. um, because ultimately the music that I put out is very, very vulnerable and personal. Yeah. And I almost feel more comfortable sharing at this stage instrumental music because it allows the privacy of whatever moment I'm writing about to be maintained yeah. but still create an environment where like all right people can listen to this and you know they can really feel that emotion that I'm trying to convey even though they might not know the particular story but it's real mm-hmm. so your learning of this was more like you realized it was you needed to just do some fleshing out like separate whether it be away from like a band and groups of creatives right or even from like school where like because everything's so structured in there that like was it even really necessarily providing opportunities for you to kind of flesh that out on your own or what was kind of the vibe with that it was really confidence the confidence to be able to do things on my own Mm -hmm. i think so was that something you like you were getting from the school or was that more something you were just separate, separate kind of thing? I had to tap into me. Mm-hmm. I think what I was getting from the school, what I was receiving from the school was not what I was wanting for my artistic fulfillment. Mm-hmm. So again, going back to like speaking for the first time, you know, if you try speaking for the first time, let's just say theoretically you're in a position where you're trying to speak for the first time. You know, I imagine that there is a little bit of, you know, it's a little awkward at first. You know, you're trying to like, you know, find like, you know, you don't talk articulate like this like Mm -hmm. on the first try. Like it takes some time. Like you don't fly on the first try. Like it takes some time. Um, Yeah, it's just it's really just taking the time to say like, all right, um, I have to tap into me Mm -hmm. because, you know, it was in me all along. Yeah, I really do feel that these melodies that I'm sharing now. Uh, these ideas that I have, the more I really sit on them and like give myself the confidence that this is a good idea. Mm-hmm. And knowing how do you talk to yourself is important to self-talk. Yeah. Uh, for every anybody that's listening out here, take the time to listen how you're talking to yourself um, in situations, especially situations that make you uncomfortable or you're not sure about, and you realize how you know significant that is yeah. through your subconscious in your everyday life. And so when I tapped into that for myself, especially with music, you know, I realized that like, yeah, I have it in me. I have a lot of work, you know, to do to make this like the best possible version. Um, but it's believable because it's real. It's me, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So so what was it that like made you then now that we we're fast forwarding a little bit, right? You've you've come out of school and you're like, like, because you moved back up to New York after a while of still staying in Lincoln, mm-hmm. right? You moved back up there, and you were there for what, five? Four years. Four years, right? So you were there, and and kind of what, what all were you doing there, like, along your musical journey as you were progressing? As a musician in New York uh, from 2017, uh, 2017, 2018, 2019, is really defined by actually music education. Mm -hmm. I had the wonderful opportunity of teaching some fantastic kids um, actually really up until a couple months ago. 
Um, but it all started in like 2018. And when you go back to the rudiments of anything, it's kind of a self-evaluating time. Mm-hmm. Um, so being able to assess where I was musically while I was teaching these kids really helped me figure out what I need to work on. Um, so it was really more time spent on education. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's funny because during this time, also the piano records were being created. And by the time that I started coming up with the ideas for the first record, Ivory Garden, I had all these demos, like demos, demos, demos. I learned at the very least that if I'm recording while I'm practicing or noodling around, I can go back later and find something that I can further develop into a real song. Mm-hmm. So by the time that I realized that I had way too much, and I just need to start organizing stuff. That was 2018, early 2019. And that was a cool moment because it's not that I wasn't creating. I always mm-hmm. was creating. Um, it's just that much like my writing, I have a bank that I kind of store everything into. Mm-hmm. And at certain points I say to myself, okay, let's break this bank and see like what gems we got in here Mm -hmm. and what we can use and what we can share. Um, So really during those four years, um, other faculties were getting developed, but I think that without those, it wouldn't have made me into a more complete musician because Mm -hmm. like I said, man, this was a amazing time for me to, break down what I love for kids who are just so eager to learn, um, so willing to just spend time with you. Um, and you know, every kid is different as far as their needs, Yeah. but at the same time, you know, they're, when they see that you're genuinely interested in, in your success, the they'll do, they'll get on board and really make the most of it. So, um, Developing education, um, also, you know, really just like refining, Mm -hmm. I'd say. Like I wasn't going through demos, piano demos to create a piano album when I, during my last couple of years in Lincoln, um, I was producing like crazy, staying Mm -hmm. up super late, like making, making beats. At one point I did a hundred days where I just made something new every day, really just for self-discovery. Um, all these things were just building blocks, man. All of them. Yeah, that's that's dope. So, like, you went from kind of, if we were to kind of put it in stages, you were doing, like, creation and stuff while here in Lincoln, just working out that creative, like, what can I make? What are the sounds? What is, like, just the exploration and stuff. And then you get your time up in New York, back home, and you're there refining working through, especially how how did that educa- educating kind of relate to that refining or like what, what was it that kind of, cause you, you turned, you started refining, right. And like, you just focused on that so much more mm-hmm. and that education aspect, like what, what were kind of some takeaways with it? Was it just like, it helped you kind of gain that perspective on like, these are some of the things I'm teaching these kids. Let me see how I can lock them down better or what, how did that kind of work out? Okay. Yeah. So, um, so just really just like what were some of the benefits of, you know, being in and seeing like the relations between um, mm-hmm. the refining and like the education. Well, it really helped me. 
this is this is kind of funny. This is this is less serious than you know. I've been anybody's listening is like, wow, this guy's intense. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, the um, the funny thing with some of these demos is that I found myself doing a lot of similar progressions. Um, mm-hmm. You're talking like chords. Yeah. yeah. So like, I would do or two three two five one. Um, with the melody being like almost identical in a different demo, like that kind mm-hmm. of thing. So, and this wouldn't happen all the time, but like every now and then, like I noticed that like, A, these ideas are probably just floating in my head, like waiting to be um, fleshed out. Mm-hmm. Or B, I need to further my musician's vocabulary and mm-hmm. just get like even deeper and deeper because... For me, there's always there's always something to learn. Um, you mentioned Gospel University um, earlier, and you know that's just one of the avenues that mm-hmm. one of, that helps me dig deeper into becoming a better pianist and a better musician and a better artist. Um, so you know, learning learning how much overlap there was in my library was really interesting. Yeah. Um, what was also interesting was talking to my kids about what I was working on mm-hmm. because they would be the ones saying like, oh my gosh, like, do you have an Instagram? Do you have, is your music on uh, iTunes? Is it on Spotify? And like, you know, these are genuine questions coming from kids who are excited that, you know, their teacher, you know, is doing something that's just beyond the 30 minutes Mm -hmm. and they want to be involved with that and engage with it to this day. There are still students who, you know, who follow the journey, which is amazing because they're a part of that. Yeah. Um, So yeah, just bouncing the ideas with them. I remember talking to, to students about like what I'm called the, you know, like what's, Oh, what's the album name? Oh, ivory garden. Oh, what's that mean? So, you know, explaining to them like the concept between or the concept of having, you know, a lot of pianos on the same record and it mm-hmm. being a garden yeah. of um, ivory, which mm-hmm. is, you know, you hear the phrase tickle the ivories all the time. Um, and it's, you know, it's a funny phrase. It's funny to say, um, but I wanted to, you know, tribute that even further into something where it's like, all right, if you hear ivory, you're going to think about piano music. When you think about piano music, I want you to find your way back to this. And, mm-hmm. um, and during that time also, you know, not only am I listening to feedback from my students, not only am I like refining my library as far as my piano demos are concerned, mm-hmm. I'm also listening to other, I listen to a lot of other pianists mm-hmm. um, that make, I wouldn't say similar to my sound, but you know, it's in the same, it's in the same ballpark. So a couple examples for those who are curious and want to do more research, Nils Fromm, German pianist. And composer, he also does a lot of ambient electronic stuff, but he has a couple records that are just piano, such as the Screws album that are very beautiful, mm-hmm. very minimalist piano. Olafur Arnold's is another example of that. Uh, very similar um, instruments com- um, compared to Nils, and they've worked a lot together on records, but mm-hmm. um, there are some records where it's just piano only. Um, Otto Totlin, I believe is his name, uh, is another one. There's... Uh, there's a couple, there's a few others that don't come to mind off the top. Um, I mean, Tony Anderson has a couple of piano pieces, even even though his genre is more considered ambient electronic as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but the point being, like, I, you know, there's nothing new under the sun. Yeah. It's biblical just as it is practical. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think that what I'm doing is 
unique. Yeah. You know, like I'm not trying to say like, oh, I got the next best piano album out. I just think it's real. I just think it's honest. Mm-hmm. And that just came from being honest with other people and being mm-hmm. honest with myself. Yeah. And that kind of, and that's real cool too. Cause it like, it shows how like you draw from the inspirations of others, but it's not like any new, I- any new idea mm-hmm. doesn't have its feet and toes like yeah. in, in all sorts of other areas and ideas. Because yeah. like where you mentioned like a lot of like the idea of like ambient piano stuff, right? Or like electronically influenced especially as well kind of piano stuff. One of the names that came to my mind when thinking of like that kind of style is Ryuichi Sakamoto. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm like similar but not the same, you know? Yeah. Because he's got so many different film scores and stuff and he and he lays heavily into piano and that's something I've been listening to fairly recently um but like that idea of like there's all these people right that are doing kind of the same thing but not really right and that that it's being like authentic right it's it's you being honest of how like of your musical interpretation of how the music's speaking to and through you you know that's what's real that's so awesome about it because like i try and think of I wouldn't even necessarily call yourself like ambient piano, right? No, Just definitely not. exactly, <laughs> right? But to hear all the different influences that come from ambient piano, pseudo electronic, what have you, like you can start to kind of piece together. Oh, like okay, I can kind of see those connecting lines, yeah. which is something that like I'm always about. You know, like I, I, I don't know if I ever told you this, but like when I started my undergrad, like the year before, I remember. Like, I was thinking to myself, I was like, all right, this kid who listens to primarily hip-hop and alternative rock is is coming in to music school, where somehow I had the understanding even then that traditional music school is mostly classically driven, right? So I was like, oh, no, I don't listen to classical music. <laughs> like, the thought was... Oh no, I'm gonna have to start to like classical. I wanna give a know? shout out to anybody who just like plays Brahms just cause. Oh, cause like one, on. cause it's you're mm-hmm. right. Nobody really does. Anyways, continue. Oh yeah. But like I was like, oh no, what am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to like classical <laughs> like listen to all this stuff, right, you know? Exactly. But when I when I came to that thought, for for some reason my mind went the direction of, you know, all music is related one way or another, right? Yeah. Like in that same idea of there's nothing new under the sun. And so for me, like the, my philosophy with it is like, where are those connections, right? What is, what is the connecting bridge between a classical piece and a hip hop track, right? Mm-hmm. Like how, how many things you got to string along to finally get that connection, you know? Yeah. But when you ask that question, yeah, there's different genres and different sonic influences, but it's all based on sound, is it not? Mm-hmm. So all of these names and categories are just names and categories. Mm -hmm. You know, there's with my, I tell people modern classical when they ask me what Mm -hmm. I do as far as music, um, because it's, you know, it's the best way to kind of label it, Mm -hmm. but there really is no label. It sounds like me and you sound like you, unless you're trying to sound like Macklemore and then you're just (laughs) jacking Macklemore. You feel what I'm saying? But if you sound like you, then your your genre i mean like is genre is becoming is becoming very is becoming a very ambiguous term oh it's so it's 
it's it's weird because it's like you could try and describe genres at a certain point, right? But now, like, good luck. Historically. Yeah, historically. And that's that's the thing. Matter of fact, I was talking about this on the last episode of, like, mm. how I try and, like, even describe classical, right? Yeah. Like, you could say, like, and I can't, like, I can't because I know it's not really accurate, right? right? But you could say classical music is just old music, right? You could say that, but then you look and you're like, well, there's still people making modern classical or there's still people making classical style or whatever yeah. you want to say music today. And then you're like, okay, but what, how do you define that style? Right. You know? And then you say, oh, they got violins. Yellow card has a violin. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, <laughs> so it's just, again, it's a label. It's something that, you know, it will guide the person who receives that information. It will guide their mind in a direction of like, oh, okay. Like, I have an idea of what it is, but mm -hmm. you know, there's just, there's such a blend and especially with the opportunities that production brings, mm -hmm. you can bring so many different sounds from so many different kits into one song. Yeah. And that happens all the time, every time. Mm -hmm. And in all sorts of different genres too. Right. Like you can, you'll have, you can have the same instruments on a death metal track as you have on a hip hop track. That's a fact. And it'll sound totally different. And you'll have those same instruments instrumental same instruments on a freaking disco track especially too or a country track like mm -hmm. it doesn't matter what it is even even things that aren't like even things that aren't exclusively western influenced right like or like our concept of western music influenced right like they'll have their equivalents of instruments right or maybe they'll even use the same instruments right but the sound is just so different you know so it's not even like it doesn't inform you what that style really is. You know, it's how, how you put it together. I remember a friend of mine, Noah, he had, he composed this awesome song. I don't remember what it was. It was like something called like George goes to space or something. Like it's about like a monkey traveling through space. That's like the title and like the back background for the story. Um, and I, <laughs> and I, I was like, this is a sick, like, I remember seeing, seeing the people come together for it, right, mm -hmm. to, to play it. And there was a drummer, a violinist, I think an electric bass, acoustic piano, a ch did I already say cellist? Because there was a cellist. <laughs> acoustic guitar and electric guitar, okay. right? So there's this whole combo, and you're like, what? What is this? Right. Like, I don't, like... What category <laughs> does yeah. this immediately fit into? Right. Yeah, and see, that's the problem. You know, we're always trying to box something instead of just mm -hmm. enjoying it for what it is. Oh, straight up. And when I tell you, I was like, this is amazing. And I was like, this is like a like I, I thought of it immediately as like, this is exactly how George goes to space. Like it was literally the soundtrack to to like the journey. And I was like, this is awesome. This is sick, you know? Where but like, if you try and describe it, what what would you describe? I don't know. Like, I, right? <laughs> like, but like, do you need to? You know? I feel like it's better to describe elements and understand them as elements rather than, mm -hmm. you know, talking about it in genres and expect people to be like, you know, because people will be like, oh, oh, you do hip hop music. Mm -hmm. So when people say they do hip hop music, you know, they're not saying oh you do hip hop music. It's like oh you rap. 
Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, there's almost like musical euphemisms in like yeah. certain ways. It's just like, like, oh, you do country music. You know, it's like, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, it's just like. It, oh, you twang. Like, oh, you twang. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like, and I wouldn't say that's the same for everybody. Yeah. Because, you know, Kane Brown, like he twangs, but, you know, he twangs and, you know, his 808s also bang. Mm-hmm. So, like, I get that. I totally get that. I don't, don't ask me. Don't ask me how I know about Kane Brown. Right? That's not important. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, man, like if it doesn't like people are just trying to like categorize what they listen to. And I feel like that's becoming less and less relevant because, you know, why are we spending so much time trying to categorize something when we should just enjoy the art for what it is? Mm-hmm. Imagine going to a set list and, you know, seeing like, oh, like here's this live hip hop jazz band. And, you know, at certain points, like it goes like you know r&b or even funk Mm -hmm. and like you're such a purist that you can't enjoy it because it's not like what you expect like imagine going to a concert and not enjoying the concert because the musician is diverse like it's really like we got to get past the point of you know labeling music for the sake of like having a satisfactory definition yeah you know what i'm saying it like because like like it like it means something like um, also, the same reason why I think we should stop debating who's top five that are alive, mm-hmm. <laughs> because it's just like people have that conversation expecting, you know, some finality. Well, it's Mozart, obviously, and Mozart and Mozart. Yeah. And Beethoven. One hundred percent. But <laughs> Those some, are people the top be, five. some people will be like, oh, Biggie, J, Nas, Tupac, Eminem. And like people are like, no. And then like somebody like. Oh, you're like, right. Has and all- Jay's in there. So it's Jay, right. Mozart, 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 Beethoven. Yeah, exactly. So people get so pressed over finality when it comes to explaining music mm-hmm. instead of enjoying the music for what it is and saying things like, you know, Jay was the most influential, you know, for New York. Yeah. Just as Kanye West was for Chicago, just as mm-hmm. Tupac was for the West. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And Biggie was for the East. Like, look how look at how I uplifted everybody without putting down anybody. Mm-hmm. Like, we don't talk like that because we're wanting to establish a hierarchy or whatever. Like, yeah, like mm-hmm. I get it. You feel this way about um Trippy Red versus somebody like Machine Gun Kelly, but you know, enjoy the music, man. Like, you know, everybody's sitting over here pressed trying to like figure it out it's just like sometimes it's like especially for the people who actually make the music authentically mm-hmm. like those are the ones that you should worry the least about yeah as far as like what they sound like because they didn't like yeah they might have made a record with a specific sound um to con- you know like for the sake of their concept mm-hmm. you know especially if they're working on a whole album or a record yeah um but for music to be such a cathartic experience, the last thing that you want to do is worry about what, like, like what do we label this as? It's like put it as a formulaic yeah. sort of thing. So here's a question then. Like, how do you teach it then? How you do you know? teach what? How do you, how do you teach music? How do you teach style? How do you teach someone, like, how do you get someone to go, like, in their direction, right? Like, you don't know what influence is going to necessarily spark them into a direction, right? Or, like, what grouping of, let's say, Right. Like if you're going to make because you made your piano records. Right. But let's say you make a record that uses like your your sound and your idea, Mm -hmm. but uses like string quartet. Yeah. Right. 
or something, something like that. Yeah. You know, like how are you going to, like, where do you get the understanding of using a string quartet, right? Like, where, where would your reference be for those? I mean, there's definitely examples of it, right? Mm -hmm. But, like, what is kind of the path that you go along to find this? Or, like, is, it, is there a way that you can teach it? To compose and arrange? Maybe. I mean, compose I mean, and arrange. You're, you're talking about adding a string quartet in the composition. So that's, that's a part of arranging yeah. and composing. I mean, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, like... Also, like, but where do you get those? Because my, my thought process is this, right? Because if I took, like, a compo composition arranging class, mm -hmm. right, and it was focused in the quote-unquote, like, classical style of composition and arrangements, right, mm -hmm. where we'll be looking is maybe, like, Brahms string quartets. We'll be looking at, like, Beethoven quartets and stuff. Okay. But, like, if you're doing, if you're doing your, your sound, right, how beneficial is the Brahms and Beethoven string quartets to maybe someone that's like actually do like you said, Niels Brahm, right? Yeah, Niels Brahm. Like, mm -hmm. like if like someone like him, right? If he was writing quartets and stuff, or Ryuichi Sakamoto writing writing their quartets, like what's the difference between those? Should would it be more beneficial to you maybe to kind of look into their quartets, see how they're writing them, or? Would do you see yourself as getting the same value out of it from uh, just looking at ex exclusively Brahms, Beethoven, one of those kind of quartets? Mm. I think I think the answer is going to be different for everybody. Mm -hmm. um, again, you're talking about a creative process. Yeah. Um, what you create is all dictated by what you have absorbed as mm -hmm. your influences, good, bad, indifferent, like all those things are put into, you know, what is my, now my current discography. Yeah. You know, um, when you talk about, uh, the exclusivity of looking at classical mm -hmm. versus expanding and looking at other things again, that's, you know, you're look. You're talking about a process that's so that's so specific mm -hmm. um, to what people already know, and to what people already know about like themselves as far as their process. I mean, um, when you look at when you look at it from another way, you do. Um, it's it's really more so the. Um, what's my thought here? What was the question? I said, what, <laughs> like, how would you go about teaching it, right? Like, is there like a, let's pretend there's a guaranteed way. Because I don't, I don't think there's a guaranteed way to ensure that you'll find like your voice faster or slower or like to ensure that you will find your authentic sound, right? Mm -hmm. Because like, like you said, it's about those influences, whatever you've experienced, good or bad, Mm -hmm. kind of helps helps shape you yeah right and so if that's the case right what's the benefit of trying to structure everything like in a particular way right because i'm coming at it from the idea of someone that's still in like music school right mm -hmm. in music academia institutionalized music yeah. kind of stuff right okay like if like is there a benefit you see to maybe changing the structure up, like having diverse structures that kind of can 
meld or assimilate better with what the student or what the individual musician kind of sees or seems to be developing, mm-hmm. right? Like, because I think like, if there was more opportunity for you to like within school develop your production, right? Mm-hmm. Develop your sound by the way that you were going, mm-hmm. right? Like maybe it was beneficial for you to kind of stay in school in the same way that doing gospel university at this point is something beneficial because you see it as like, oh, this isn't this is put together in a way that I can kind of connect with it and take those ideas and assimilate them into my sound, right? But like what what about doing gospel university is different from you like studying uh Ravel and Brahms and WC, right? Mm, okay. Well you mentioned curriculum as it pertains to a music student. And I think anybody that's educating for music because that's what I can speak on. Mm -hmm. If you're educating in music, you have to, and you you absolutely have to understand, firstly, what your student is trying to get out of it. Mm -hmm. Um, The same way that I would approach an extroverted student is completely different from how I approach the introvert. And I know that sounds really basic, but there's a really significant yet subtle power in just knowing how to read the room mm-hmm. and understand like, okay, this person, I actually have to talk less with the student or this one, I have to talk more with them. Like you got to yeah. tap in, you got to dial in and really understand what it is that they are wanting to get out of it. Yeah. Verbal conversation and also understanding their nonverbals. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're talking about when you're in academia and you're trying to figure out the, the again, music education, um, you have to cater accordingly. That's, that's just the bottom line. I mean, um, as similar as we are as musicians in certain ways, um, mm-hmm. like instruments as an example, uh, we are also very different. Yeah. And it has to be treated as such. Um, I work in a um, healthcare context where I always remind people that I'm on the phone with, um, and these are people that haven't visited the facility yet. I always remind them that they can, um, that, you know, that everybody's different as far as their condition and symptoms. Mm hmm. So when I'm asking them about their condition and their symptoms and I'm taking notes on that, I'm letting them know because everybody's different. Mm -hmm. And that's one of, you know, several moments that I engineer in those types of calls where I make it very clear what I'm doing, how I'm doing it, and it's received well. Mm -hmm. And I think if you do that in a music context where, you know, you read the room, you understand the needs and the wants of um, your prodigies, then you take that step and be like, all right, like this is this is how it's going to get done. And mm-hmm. you have to cater accordingly. So um, I believe that that's the answer because that's what worked for me. Mm-hmm. Kind of reassessing and catering towards like what that student's interests are, right? Now, 
because I, I we actually kind of touched on this in the last episode too, where it was like, but then like at an institutional level, you got to cut something, right? Wherever you add something, you've got to cut something, or where you put in a new idea, you mm-hmm. got to replace a different one, yeah. right? Yeah. How do you make that like sustainable for like an institution? You know, like, do you think that's like kind of something that can be done or do you think, cause I, I'm of the mindset or I've grown into the mindset of better understanding, like what would be so beneficial of ju- about just having a mentor, right? Like a, a music mentor that it, um, or a coach and, or whatever, in whatever sense, right. That is more specifically focused on doing just that, right. Where you say, I want to do this. And they're like, all right, let's, let's look at it from this perspective. Let's look at influences that kind of help develop this sound, this kind of feeling that you're kind of getting at. Right. But if you like pivot and say, well, I want to do something that's completely different or it seems like it's completely different. Right. And then that mentor is like, okay, well that's not exactly my wheelhouse. Right. But this is kind of where I would go, you know, to find this kind of sound, or this is someone I think you might want to start talking to, to get more, more acquainted with that sound. Right. I don't see that necessarily as being as easily feasible all the time within an institutional music context, you know, because there's a lot of at stake. Right. Because mm-hmm. like if I if I came into school right now and was like, I am wanting to focus on hip hop. Right. They ain't got any hip hip hop classes. Right. They don't really have any songwriting classes either. Right. There's composition. Right. Mm -hmm. And like you could do directed studies or whatever. Right. With composer, with composition professors or what have you. But like to do like songwriting. Right. And what kind of song are you writing? You know, Mm -hmm. like what is the sound of your style? What's all this sort of stuff? Like how do you within that kind of institutional context, like where can you get that? You know, or how like do you think it's something that like you as a student, as a musician, as an artist can develop it? You know, is it something you can develop from within that's feasibly possible to develop or at, cause I think at some point or another, you gotta, you're going to have to branch outside. Mm-hmm. Right. But are there, what kind of creative ways do you think you could still develop that from within or even can you really, without it being more beneficial to just break out, mm. break out and, Discover outside. Mm-hmm. Discover on your own. Find your own mentor. Find your own kind of like related sounds or whatever. Well, I think now is the perfect time to drop this one liner because I kind of wanted to put it at the beginning, but understanding that this is your platform, I wanted to wait <laughs> for the perfect time. So, uh, what I wanted to say was uh, three words question your convictions. Mm-hmm. It's. Uh, it's on that sticker that I showed you. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so question your convictions. This is uh, it's a very, for me, this is a very powerful phrase mm-hmm. in my life. Um, I got it um, on a sticker from a good friend, Lisa. She's a, she's a graphic designer in New York City. Very talented, very unique style. Uh, her account is Red Halftone on Instagram. She's super dope. Uh, and she has a, I think it's a marketing agency called untitled era and um anyways great great person great artist and she has these 
designs where um, in front of the illustration, there's usually a banner that has um, a very short phrase. And one of them says, question your convictions. Mm -hmm. I think when you are, again, I'm saying this because I say it a lot. I think when you're learning yourself, when you're practicing self-awareness, listening to yourself talk, how you talk to yourself, um, I think it should be done in a way where you are being gentle with yourself as far as, you know, understanding that that self-work does take a lot of time mm -hmm. and that's okay. Um, I also think that it's important to, um, in addition to be kind to yourself while doing it, be honest with yourself while you're doing it, mm -hmm. which means for me to say like, all right, if you are, if you are feeling X, if, if X happens and you do Y, um, are you suppressing the Y of it? Like, are you suppressing Y and then just, you know, continuing to react the same way? Or are you going to one day say, when X happens, I'm actually going to do Z because I'm a better person. Mm -hmm. So when we're talking about music, as far as, you know, looking, reaching out for mentors, reaching in, um, again, it's really, it starts from the beginning of just saying like, what do I want to get out of this? Because mm -hmm. a lot of times the only people that find themselves in the position of questioning is the ones that, I mean, if you're asking a lot of questions in, in a scenario where you feel like you should have answers, then, you know, it might be time to reevaluate. Mm -hmm. um, so when, when we talk about music and saying, hey, like, I want to, you know, be a certain kind of way, learn a certain thing, you know, a lot of it is just placement. You yeah. have to be in the best possible position um, to make a difference as far as what you're trying to accomplish with your art. That's why I moved to Nashville. Um, and you know, that's, that's where a lot of people actually lose their way because, um, they want to engineer the best circumstances out of a shitty situation. Mm -hmm. Um, and it could be a shitty situation with music. It could be that way with, um, you know, what happens outside of music, which of course reflects inside because mm -hmm. a lot of musicians are really just sharing their personal experiences through song. Yeah. Myself included, yourself included. So, um, yeah, just taking the time to say, hey, like, is this something that I really should do? And should I do it here? How should I do it? Um, as far as what's already put in place by, you know, so-called thought leaders who are kind of taking the charge on these different, whether it's a institution or even the more modern version is subscription-based Patreon mm -hmm. um, or, you know, channel that's dedicated to providing um, information, you know, that will help their target audience. Mm -hmm. no, matter, no matter what it is, you have to make sure that you're doing that, you're yeah. pursuing that for the best possible reasons. Yeah. Again, I started the interview talking about authenticity and I, and how um, I'm after a sound that sounds like me. And you can't be authentic if you're trying to put yourself in places where as a person, you know, you shouldn't be in. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's super dope. Just the realization, right. Of questioning your convictions of really looking and assessing when you start questioning something, right. Right. 
it's kind of an indicator really that maybe you do need to refine mm-hmm. a, pro- a part of the process. Maybe what you thought at a certain time was beneficial isn't necessarily as beneficial as it once was or mm-hmm. once could have been, mm-hmm. right? Because we're always evolving and we're always changing. And especially as musicians, as artists, we're always shaping yeah. and and creating even like on a minute, like little tiny scale. Always processing. Right? Always. always processing and always developing so that we can further and further become more authentic, yep. you know, with our sound. Yep. So when we look and we assess, you know, and I think, and I think something that like, that I ran into at least mm-hmm. was cause I was like, I've looked and assessed and I've been in school for so long studying music where now I'm like, Oh, there's some things that I that I think from from school are beneficial, but then there's other things that now I realize the potential that I have outside of school, and I have to balance and weigh like, is what I'm learning from school equally, if not more, beneficial than what I would be learning outside of school? You know, that's that's a huge thing. I mean, that's something you had to address and you had to assess and deal with. Exactly. You know? But. I think uh, the the biggest of key takeaways from that is that eventually it'll happen one way or another, no matter where you are, whether you're in, out of school, like whether you've gone or you haven't, you know, like you're going to always assess your situation and you're going to say the decision I made to be here, right? Should I continue with that decision or should I branch to a new decision? Do I need to divert entirely and go at totally unexplored path for myself or for whoever, mm-hmm. right? Or can I stay along this general path that at least has people that have gone it before and will I get out of it what I want, you know? And when when confronted with the, and with the realization that the option to not go the standard route is the one that you should probably go, I think though it's scary, you know, that's all right, you know? Because at the end of the day, we all kind of realize when we've got to take the non-standard route, when we've finally kind of broken into our, our voice, our space, our authentic selves. Mm-hmm. And as soon as we find that, no matter to what scale it seems that is, you know, mm-hmm. we got to say, you know what? This is the time for it. And just kind of trust that process that we've developed, you know, mm-hmm. and just keep saying, you know what? We are being authentic, you know? This is where my authentic sound is going. I'll tell you what. The mixtape that I joked about, that was my actually very first project I ever put out. Self-produced. Um, every, wrote everything, made every beat. At the time, I did not know about engineering, so it was mixed A1. Mm-hmm. I'm just playing it was not. It was terrible. <laughs> I, I recorded the vocals in my bedroom closet because I wanted to know that feeling of just being like i wanted that like underdog like kind of feeling where i was just kind of doing everything real raw and without any like Fan in the background dogs barking in the streets right but it's funny because <laughs> at that time i did have access and uh a network to actually go into a studio and work on this stuff i just yeah. i was just really obsessed with you know working on the whole thing myself and just being able to say like I did every aspect of this um, because that's the kind of person I am as far as my art. Like I want to be able to own it and own it proudly. Mm -hmm. And uh, when other people 
are listening to it, they know too. Yeah. I brought up the mixtape because um, to this day, nobody has ever, t- I mean, it's not accessible anymore, but that's besides the point. I never really got any feedback from the mixtape about, you know, how songs impacted them. And I'm talking about, you know, unsolicited, mm-hmm. you know, just out of nowhere, like, yo, by the way. But when the piano records were being made and I was putting, I put out two music videos from Ivory Garden. I didn't put out any visualizers yet for Ivory mm-hmm. Motion uh, because of the transition. But when these videos came out, yeah, that's when people were saying, well, okay. Not saying that the music that I put in the mixtape was bad. Yeah. You know, like I still think those beats are super hot fire. Um, definitely top five producer that are alive, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> oh, straight up. Um, right up there you know what I'm saying? And that's the confidence that you Jay, need to have. Mozart. Yeah. Right, exactly. <laughs> you know, like Jay got his thing, Mozart got his thing, but you know, like, have you heard? <laughs> have you heard CST? Can't stop this. Yo, that beat is fire, bro. Like, don't don't like um like I'll just say this now because I, I'll say this now because I said fire. One of the lines of, um, one of the lines, one of the opening lines of one of those songs on the mixtape was, "I just started a fire with my ashy black anger." <laughs> so yeah, that's fire, bro. Like, I don't know. I'm gonna re-release uh, it one of these days, and I'm gonna keep that line to I stay true wait. because. Sure though. I just started a fire with my Ashley Black ankles. <laughs> I can't relate to that because I do lotion, but you name know, that the name that the album. As a matter of fact, just uh, go all in. <laughs> right, exactly. But um, yeah, man, I did not hear anybody contacting me. Like nobody contacted me about the mixtape, but people contacted me about the piano albums, and they still do. And mm-hmm. I really think it's because it is my authentic music at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so much more to discover um, as far as my sound, the projects that I've worked on um, during during quarantine some and like other projects at different yeah. times. All those, all of those are going to be expansions of, you know, what is currently out. But again, that's, that is a discovery process of itself yeah. because there's going to be more elements involved, which means that it's going to be more time. It's going to be more, um, more investments made into it. And oh, yeah. the most important part about that whole thing is to just trust it, mm-hmm. to just trust it completely. I mean, set deadlines, set goals, all that stuff. But, you know, trust your process to where it's like, all right, if this, if this is going to take two to three years, you know, I'm not going to try rushing and put it out in one because mm-hmm. then it's not going to sound real. Straight up. You know, you're, you're, um, I hate listening to records. This doesn't happen all the time, but I hate listening to a record where you can tell some of the tracks were just plugged into the album, just, mm-hmm. you know, just for the sake of filling it up. Like, um, every song, every single track that's on my catalog, with the exception of one, because my cousin Nate, shout out Nate. And eight M L V L on IG, phenomenal pianist. He played a record on my last album called "The Doctor Chocolate Interlude." He likes to call himself Doctor Chocolate, but that's another conversation for another time. <laughs> um, yeah, every song on my record, with with the exception of that one, you know, that's just me being real, yeah. and like that's me sharing 
you know, really hard stories, recalling like really tough memories and also really happy moments um, and just putting it to piano and like and just just let that be that, you know, Mm -hmm. like sometimes when you're experimenting, a.k.a. the mixtape, you know, there was obviously because I was rapping, I said a lot of things on there Mm -hmm. and I was a lot younger during that time as well. So um, even though the rhymes were fire, the subject matter might not have been authentic enough because it was still something that um, there were probably like some songs were about situations that don't even matter anymore. Yeah. Or, um, you know, some other songs were, you know, just uh, just to get like I did put 22 songs because it was a golden birthday mm-hmm. mixtape and I turned 22 on that day. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had a lot of tracks. Yeah. I mean, realistically, like I, I wouldn't listen to an album that long. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, again, that's just like tapping into, you know, understanding what's best. And again, yeah. reading the room, like mm-hmm. you think about your end product and reverse engineer that and say like, hey, like if I drop this record, are people going to play all 22 tracks or are they going to listen to the first three and be like, yo, that shit sounds good? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Straight up. Like, what do you want out of it? And then mm-hmm. what, whatever the answer is like, all right, so let's get to work. Yeah. That's what's up, man. Well, I think that's that's probably pretty good. We we talked for a hot while. Hot while, man. Hot while, bro. But yeah, glad you were able to come here and be on. Yeah, and I want to take the time to thank everybody for listening to, you know, what uh, Daniel and I had to discuss regarding just you know music, and again, the conversation was very focused on authenticity. Um, I see those as two things that are very related in my um, in my experience. Yeah. And I also say that because I don't see a lot of people, at least as musicians, you know, really sharing that. Everything is, yes, everything is um, in accordance with their journey and um, how they share it. And, like, that's one way to be authentic. But I think, you know, being very plain about our language and how we speak about certain things is important Mm -hmm. so let's just say it right now like let's be authentic musicians and sometimes as i said before being authentic means preventing yourself from doing something creatively that you know won't benefit you in the long run to this day i do not regret pulling myself out of that performance because Mm -hmm. the type of emotion that was fueling me at that time was not healthy yeah and i would have been putting myself out on the stage and exposing you know, the the inferior version of, you know, who I really was. Yeah. Um, and I feel like that's really important to think about because it really does show you that when you say, you know what, I'm going to be real, even though it's going to be painful and vulnerable, um, you're so much better for it. Mm-hmm. Straight up, man. So, yeah, thank you, everybody, for checking this out and listening. Um, I hope something resonated uh that's what that's why i opened my mouth because i want to be able to say something that speaks to somebody um other than that the smartest animal.com at the smartest animal on instagram because other platforms take too much time to use but you know <laughs> that's why i got a website honey so Straight up. pull up all right man thanks again man yes, sir thank all right. you all right that's that